Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. When he received the message, he stopped everything else that he was doing. He knew that this had to take the, the number one priority. And as he began to read it, he, he kind of looked around a little bit. He, he thought about who else was there because it quickly became extremely personal. The old man who wrote this letter had been his friend for 20 years. First friends with his grandmother, then friends with his mother, and then eventually with him. He, he had become a father figure to him. He had invested in his life in incredible ways, very different from his actual father. He had a, a voice of influence in his life that words cannot even begin to describe. And although they were 20 years or so apart in age, the influence and the connection that quickly happened between the two of them, words really can't describe, this young man became like a son to this older man. See, this older man had believed in him. He'd encouraged him. He'd called him out when he needed to take a step of faith. He'd challenged him to be a person of courage. And when others were putting him down, when they were looking down at him, he spoke words of life and encouragement into him. Now, now he had not known the old man before the big change that happened in his life. See, about 30 years before, there had been this moment where this older man had seen the light and it had changed him in so many ways. He had heard about that change and that change was what drove him his whole life. And now he held in his hands a letter, not the first letter that he had written, but one that was so important. This letter became so timely for this young man and this letter is timeless for us. This letter had traveled over 800 miles from the city of Rome, the hub of the Roman Empire, to a city known as Ephesus in what we today would know as modern Turkey. The letter had been written from a prison, the kind you picture from centuries past. Think of a dungeon. This was a subterranean prison cell. It was dank. It was dark. It was musty. It was crowded. There was no sanitation. There was no privacy. The only light and air that came into this prison cell would have come from a hole in the ceiling above. And yet somehow from that place, the Apostle Paul wrote one last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. For us, this letter that we call 2 Timothy was Paul's last will and testament. It's the last correspondence that we know of between these two, of a father and son in the faith. Now, Paul writes in this letter and says to Timothy, as quick as you can, come and visit me. But we don't know if he was able to do it. We don't know if he got there at any time. What we do know is not whether they ever saw each other again, but we do know the confident words of a man who saw the finish line of his life, a man who knew his time had come. And so from what history calls the Mamertine prison in Rome, Paul wrote the letter of 2 Timothy to a young pastor in Ephesus, his friend, his son in the faith. And at the end of the letter, he expresses with incredible confidence. Paul says, I'm ready for death. How can, how can a man say that? How can a person say, I'm ready for death? I think it comes because of the way that you live. When, when you read 2 Timothy, which is probably the most personal and intimate of the letters that Paul 
writes, you're struck with the confidence that Paul has as he writes to Timothy. He clearly says, I know my time is up. I've known a few people like that. I can remember years ago, this gentleman that caught me in the atrium in our old building, and he said to me, I need to have a conversation with you because I got a, I got a diagnosis from the doctor, and I want to tell you where I'm at as I look at the end of my life. I've had the privilege of being with people in those last days, in those last moments. And there's something that's unique. Sometimes people live those last days with fear or uncertainty. And sometimes they live them with a sense of confidence, courage, strength. Well, what's the difference? I think a big part of the difference comes when you know that you've lived a life worth living. We are currently living in such days of uncertainty. And look, that statement would have been true 12 months ago. To say that we live in times of uncertainty has, has been true for, for, for decades. But it's unarguably true today. In a world that's filled with conflict, polarization, contradiction, hypocrisy, unknowns, fear, anger, frustration, disappointment, it's everywhere. And yet, can I tell you, that's not the whole story. See, God has called his people not to live lives of frustration, but instead to live our lives for so much more. He's called us to live life to the full. He does not want us to allow the challenges and, and the difficulties of the world and culture around us to keep us from living a life that's worth living. And so when you get to the end of the second letter that Paul writes, the epistle that we call 2 Timothy, that Paul writes to Timothy, humbly and yet confidently, Paul talks about the end of his life. And we're gonna look at that today. If you wanna turn your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, we're just gonna kind of work our way through three verses. It's kind of the, the last words that Paul speaks so clearly to Timothy, and it causes me to ask a question of you. It causes me to ask a question of me. Are you living a life worth living? Like if you were to be at the point where you were looking at the end of your life, could you confidently say that I have lived a life that's worth living? What do you mean by that, Chad? Well, let me show you what Paul says. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, as he is talking to Timothy about how he should live, he says this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. These words were filled with confidence. They were filled with purpose. They were filled with meaning. We're gonna look at these tonight and learn some lessons from Paul's last words. As we look at these, we're gonna see some lessons from Paul's last words. Let's go back and see what he says because it's gonna challenge us in the way that we live our lives as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse six. Here's what Paul says. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. There's some language there that's really unusual to us when he says poured out like a drink offering. What does he mean by that? Because that's not language that we would use. A drink offering is an idea that was in Old Testament worship. If you read through the Old Testament, the laws that, that God gave to Moses to give to the people. And it's also something that you would see in pagan society as well in their sacrifices. It's sacrificial language 
a drink offering was often presented with special sacrifices or burnt offerings, and it would be poured out over the sacrifice or maybe even into the dry ground, and when you would pour it out, you would pour it out with no hope or desire of retrieving it or of having anything left. As you poured that out, you were symbolizing that I give everything I have. I give this great thing of value completely in sacrifice to God. Now, Paul uses this language of a drink offering multiple times. He says it here in 2 Timothy. He also says it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, where he, he's talking about his ministry, and he says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. This is such an interesting word choice for him to say drink offering. Why does he say it, and what does it mean to us? Now, I think this powerful metaphor causes us to think about a couple of things. One, that you spend your life on things that matter. That you spend your life on things that matter. When you find yourself in a place like Paul is in 2 Timothy, looking back on your life, what will the focus of your life be? When it's all said and done, will you have lived a life that's worth living Anybody ever been to an overpriced restaurant? Do you know what I'm talking about? Not an expensive one. Like sometimes you go to an expensive restaurant and you go, oh, I know why that's expensive. I know the quality of the food. I know the quality of the experience. And then there's other times when you go to a restaurant and you just go, oh, I didn't get what I paid for. Anybody? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, and you go to that place and you, you get the meal or you have the experience and they bring you the bill and as you go to pay it, you think to yourself, I can't believe I spent this much on that. Can I get an amen? amen. Right, I mean, I've had that experience. I don't wanna get to the end of my life and think the same thing. I don't wanna get to the end of my life and look back at the things I've spent my time and my energy on and look back on it and go, I can't believe I spent this much on that. My question is, are you spending your life on things that matter? What are you giving your best to? The best of your time, the best of your money, the best of your thinking, the best of your worry. <laughs> what is it that you're focusing your life on? Really, what is it and does it matter? Because when Paul says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, he's saying to us, spend your life on things that matter. He's also saying, live your life knowing you gave it all. Live your life knowing you gave your all. That you can look back and say, man, I, I got nothing left. I didn't hold back. I didn't keep from living my life in a way that made a difference. Now, I'm not asking you to burn out, right? That's a whole different conversation about knowing how to live your life in a way that has a rhythm and that, and that is healthy. But there are these moments where you look back and you go, man, I know I didn't give it all. Are there any competitive people out there? Okay, I'm, I'm one. I'm, I'm kind of this closet competitive underneath. And it comes out in different places. And sometimes I'm not real proud of how it comes out. And, and recently, our family was kind of all together. And our kids have all left home. And they're, they're, they're in their you know, 20s years of their life. But we kind of did a little uh, rewind. And we played some basketball in the driveway just like we used to. Two on two. So the four of us were out there. And I kind of like to pride myself that dad's still got it, which is easy when it comes to basketball because I never had it. 
and uh, works out. The only skill I have is that I'm tall, and sometimes I can get lucky with an outside shot. And we played, and we, we played the first game, and the, the two of us that, that I was with, we lost. And then we played the second game, and we won, like, like pretty handily, I may say so myself. So that means if there was a one and one, you, of course, have to play. <laughs> you have to play the third. You got to get the tiebreaker in. So we played that third one, and uh, it pains me to say that we lost that one. And afterwards, I walked away, and I looked at my teammate, and I said, sorry, I feel like I didn't give my all. It, it was just a silly game of basketball in the driveway, and I was bothered for about 90 minutes afterwards because <laughs> I lost. And part of what bothered me so much about losing is I looked back and I thought, I could have given more out there. Man, that, that play, I, I should have got that rebound. That play, I, I wasn't in the right place. I should have hustled. Like, I'm thinking through these things and going, I wish that I had given it all. Paul says, look, live your life in a way that when you look back and relive those key moments of your life, you're not saying to yourself, I wish that I had given it all. I wish that I had poured out more of myself. There will come moments in your life where what God will put in front of you to do will require that you don't mail it in, but that you say, God, I'm going to give my all in this situation. I'm going to give my all to you. So Paul says this. He says, live your life in such a way that you do this. And go back to the, the text, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Look at what he says again. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Like Paul's saying very clearly, I know I'm not going to live forever. In fact, he says, I can see the finish line. When he uses this word departure, it is a word that would be used in the military for soldiers when they break camp. When it's time to Pack up where you are and move on to what is next. It's a powerful image. And I think all of us would do well to remember that at some point, we're, we're going to break camp. Like at some point in our lives, this life will come to an end. And have we prepared for the next one? Ha have we seen that oftentimes our life is actually preparation for how we will die and how we will live Afterwards, this life is preparation for the next life. One of my favorite modern day poets is a singer songwriter named John Foreman. And he, he has written a song called Learning How to Die. And the language in this always gets me. It says, All along, I thought I was learning how to take, how to bend, not how to break, how to laugh, not how to cry. But really, I've been learning how to die. Our life is preparation for the next one. And for some of us, that gets a little tricky because when I talk about this, when I talk about, hey, when I come to the end of my life and I, and I look back on how I lived, some of you are already saying, well, um, <laughs> yeah, I get it, but I've lived my life with so many regrets, I don't want to think about looking back because I've messed up so many times that there's nothing I can do about it. And some of us are saying, look, I appreciate you preaching this, Chad, but this is a message for young people because I'm too old to change anything. And some of you are saying, hey, Chad, I appreciate this, but this is a message for old people because I'm too young to think about this. 
And we can excuse this thought about living today with your focus on tomorrow, except for the fact that even if you feel like you've messed up too much, there is grace to say, God, I will do what I can do in this season. And if you look back and go, it's too late or it's too long, remember that there is grace and we start that season, we start living that way today. If you think about it, the Apostle Paul was in his 60s when he died. We figure he was born about 5 AD and he died somewhere about 67 or 68. After that, that time, he was executed in the city of Rome after, sometime after he wrote from that prison cell to Timothy. So if he was in his 60s and we can figure as we push it back that he was somewhere probably in his early 30s when he has the Damascus Road experience. So for 30 years, he lived as the apostle Paul. But the first 30 years of his life, he was the persecutor Saul. And if you stop and think about that, if anybody lived a life with regret, if anybody lived a life where you could say it's too late, it was the Apostle Paul, and yet he was willing to say, God, I will move forward. I have lived my life in this way because he didn't stay focused on where he messed up. He stayed focused on how he could live up to what God had called him to, which takes us then to how he lived. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Watch what he says there. 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I have fought the good fight I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Have you ever heard that verse before? Fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. What, why would he use that imagery? Well, let's talk about it a little bit. He says, I fought the good fight. That comes from the world of athletics, not just the world of battle, but the world of competition. Actually, in, in Greco-Roman times, it would have to do with the picture of a contest of wrestling. And it had the idea, I fought the good fight. I fought the noble fight. In fact, these words fought and fight have behind them the idea of that you agonize. This is really, I have agonized the good agony. I have put the effort in. I have stressed this. I have lived out the struggle that was in front of me. And the reality is victory does not come without a struggle. Have you found that to be true? Like oftentimes the, the most important things in my life are things that I've had to work for. There's things that I've had to work through. And whether that be in a relationship or whether that be in a tough time, whether that be some accomplishment, victory in our lives does not come without a struggle. And I wanna encourage you, if you feel like you're in the middle of a struggle right now, you can know that on the other side of this struggle, there will be victory if you'll trust God through it. So victory does not come without a struggle. And Paul says, look, agonize the good agony. Do the right thing. He says, fight the good fight. Here's just a word of caution. To fight the good fight, you must fight the right fight. To fight the good fight, you must fight the right fight. And the reality is there's seasons and times when we can find ourselves as a fighter and we're not fighting the good fight. We're just fighting. And sometimes we can fight the wrong fight. We can get caught up or we can get wrapped up in something that drains us and we put a lot of energy into it only to get further down the road and realize it really didn't have that much value. Like you might say, well, how do I know if I'm fighting the right fight? Well, if, if what you're doing is not what God is asking you to do, then that's the wrong fight. If it's not in line with his word. If it's robbing you of time and energy from the things that really matter, if it's hurting your testimony, if it's stealing your joy, or if it's robbing you of peace, or if you're fighting for something that's not eternal, then maybe you're not fighting the right fight. Maybe you're putting your energies into something that really doesn't matter. 
Paul says, look, as I look back, I say to myself, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If you're familiar with the New Testament and the letters that Paul wrote, this idea of I've finished the race may be one that you've seen before. Because Paul has used this image from athletics multiple times in his writings. When you think of this kind of finish the race, think about like our modern day Olympics because they were born actually in this time when Paul's writing these things. Think of a marathon runner because they had that competition 2,000 years ago when Paul is writing this. That's why in 1 Corinthians 9.24 he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize. He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Philippians chapter three, verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he uses this analogy over and over and over again. And what Paul says here in in verse seven of 2 Timothy four, he says, I have finished the race. I think it's interesting what he says here. He doesn't say I won the race. He doesn't say I had the fastest time. He doesn't say I didn't think about giving up. He doesn't say I didn't get tired. He doesn't say I didn't hurt at any point during this time. What he finds value in is the fact that he finished it, that he made it through. So many times, and especially in our spiritual lives, we we put ourselves down because we've lived in a way that we feel is not perfect or wasn't always right. Look, finishing is not perfection. Finishing is perseverance. Does that make sense? Like sometimes it's all about pushing through and making it to the end and accomplishing that goal. It's not about having the best time. It's not about always getting things right. It's about saying, I am not going to give up. I'm gonna keep pushing through to the thing that God has called me to do. I want to talk to you a minute about calling because for some of you, there's something that God is stirring in your heart. He is calling you to do that thing, to take that step of faith, to, to make your life matter in some way. Do not dismiss that. Do not ignore that. Grab hold of that. And even if you don't think you can be perfect, you persevere in that and go after that thing that he has called you to do. Because 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He says, I have kept the faith. He says, in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of frustrations, in the midst of hardship, I've held on to the faith. My encouragement to you is that you hold on to what holds life together. And that's your faith. That that you realize that in the midst of all the craziness that may be in the world around us or in your own personal world, that you know that you can come back to the thing that you need and that's your faith in Jesus Christ. And you say, well, sometimes it doesn't make sense or sometimes I don't understand or sometimes it seems like there's, there's no winning in this world. And I would tell you, especially in those times, hold on to your faith. Many of you know Our friend, Pastor Bill McGinnis, who was uh, part of our our pastoral team here at Calvary for over 30 years. And and I had the privilege to travel quite a few times internationally with Pastor Bill. And he had this practice, and he would say it to me when we would travel. He would say it to teams that he led all over the world. And he would say, with your passport, and you know when you travel, your passport's important, right? (laughs) He would say, always put your passport in the same place. 
Don't like put it in your pocket one time and then in this bag one time and then over here in your backpack the next time. He says, always put your passport in the same place because that way you'll always know where to find it. Does that make sense? So, so that, that became something that was kind of ingrained in me. And I, I, would, I would put it right here when we were traveling, right here in this pocket so I would know where it was and I could grab it. And it was always in this place because if there was ever a point where I needed that most precious item, I would know right where to find it. And look, if you're constantly putting your faith in all these different places, then when you need it the most, you're not going to be able to find it. You need to know where you put your faith and where you put your confidence and where you put your trust. You must put your faith in the same place. Hold on to, keep the faith, as Paul said. And that only comes when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the reason why. There's a world around us who needs to see people of faith. True? I think of Paul's letter here in 2 Timothy. You might call it his farewell address. And just recently, I heard the speech that President Ronald Reagan gave, his last speech from the Oval Office. In many ways, it was his 2 Timothy. It was his last message to people that he loved. And there was a story that he told that, that struck me when I heard it that I thought would be good to share with you. If you would, please, turn your attention to the screens. I've been reflecting on what the past eight years have meant and mean. And the image that comes to mind like a refrain is unmarkable. A small story about a big ship and a refugee and a sailor. It was back in the early 80s at the height of the boat people. And the sailor was hard at work on carrying Midway, which was patrolling the South China Sea. A sailor like most American servicemen, young, smart, and fiercely observed. A crew spotted on the horizon a leaky little boat, and crammed inside were refugees from Indochina, hoping to get to America. The Midway sent a small launch to bring them to the ship to safety. As the refugees made their way through the choppy seas, one spied the sailor on deck and stood up and called out to him. He yelled, Hello, American sailor. Hello, freedom man. A small moment for the big meeting among the sailors who wrote in the letter. That powerful image that someone who was looking for hope when they saw that American sailor said, hello, freedom man. There was something so ingrained in the picture that he had that he saw that that person had something that he needed. We live in a world that is desperately looking for freedom, they're looking for hope, they're looking for peace, and they're looking to you, to the only place where they can find it. And I think far too many times, the people that are looking for hope, what they've seen from the church is probably not that hope and that peace. Instead, they, maybe they've seen anger, or they've seen uh, a disconnection, or they've seen rebellion or resistance that's come back towards them. And what if instead we could be people who, as we held on to our faith, were people that they would look at and point and go, you have the hope, you have the peace, you have the faith, you have the freedom that we're looking for. Who is it in your world that needs to look at you and see what only Jesus Christ can bring to them? 
Is it a child? Is it a son, a daughter, a grandchild? Is it a family member, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker that's looking for something? And the reason that God has put you in their path is so they can look at you and see that you have what they're longing for. If we could live our lives in that way, in a world that is losing faith, we are called to keep faith alive. We are called to be the ones that show that truth to others. And so Paul says, Timothy, look, I know I'm being poured out like a drink offering. And I know the time of my departure is at hand. And here's as I look back what I see. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And then in verse 8, he says this. He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. When he says crown of righteousness, he's not talking about some kind of royal crown. When you would win a race, when you would win a marathon, what you would receive as the one who won, you, you would get a laurel wreath that would be placed on your head. It was the crown of victory. And Paul says, I am running this race so that someday I will stand before my king and he will place that, that victory crown on my head. My question is, as you run your race, what are you running for? Like, what is it that, that you live your life for? Is it for things that aren't gonna last or is it that you are living your life for something that matters? And when you ask the question, what are you running for? I may also wanna ask you, what are you running from? Because if you're running from something, if you're running from God, if you're running from the things that he has for you, then in those moments, you may miss out on a life that is worth living. Paul says instead, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but watch what he says here, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That we look forward to that day when he's going to come again. That we look forward to that day when we will stand before him. And you realize when that day comes, whether it's because Jesus comes back again or because the day comes for your departure, you're going to one day stand in front of him. And when you do, what is it that you want to hear? I, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to live my life in a way so that I know I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I can see his face. I long for his appearing. We look forward to that day. Paul says, how do you live a life that matters? Look, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. As followers of Jesus, we are never settled in this world. Like this is not our home. And at some point, there's a restlessness that should stir up inside of us to know we are living our life for things that are higher than this world. In fact, the author of Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do you see that picture again of the race? He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's my hope. If I, if I had to give you the, the, the secret to living a life worth living, it'd be five words. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
Paul says, ultimately, I'm looking forward to seeing him. He says, there's one thing that matters, and that's Jesus. Over the course of the next couple of months, especially as we are in such a unique season as individuals and a a nation, we're going to focus our eyes on what matters. We're going to be looking at the words of Jesus for these next few weeks as we come together in in church together, as we watch online. We're going to be focused on who Jesus is. And so today, we're going to share in communion together because today is a perfect day, a great time for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Go, Go back to Timothy as he stands there and a messenger brings him this letter from Paul. He takes this scroll and he reads it. And he gets down to this part where Paul talks about the fact that he knows his life is coming to an end. I picture Timothy there with with tears in his eyes. And Paul encouraging him and saying, Timothy, focus on what really matters. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And so today, whether you're here in this auditorium or you're joining us online, you're watching this on a screen somewhere, we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna share in communion together. Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that when we come to this moment, we're to examine our lives. He says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so let's take just a moment And I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, just to bow your heads and close your eyes for this moment. And if today was the day where you had to say, like Paul, the time of my departure is near. Have you lived a life worth living? As you look back, can you say, I've fought the good fight. I've ran that race. I've kept the faith. And in this moment, if there's somewhere in your heart where you need to ask God for his forgiveness, if in this moment, maybe you even need to say, Jesus, I give you my life fresh and new, maybe for the first time, maybe you're you're renewing that relationship with him. Would you just say, Jesus, I fix my eyes on you. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Father, as we hold this bread in our hands, we thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus, we thank you that you loved us enough that you would die for our sins. Like we just read that you were willing to endure the cross, scorn that shame, so that we could know grace, so that we could know mercy, so that we could be people of freedom and forgiveness. And Lord, as we share in this bread, We remember your sacrifice in Jesus' name. Let's share in the bread together.
Bible says that in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We know from your word that there is life in the blood. And we know that there is healing because of the blood of Jesus. That there is forgiveness because of Christ's shed blood. And that we have hope to know you because you shed blood for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you for your grace. And we remember your sacrifice as we share in the cup together. In Jesus' name, let's share in the cup. As we conclude this service, I come back and I think about the things that we've talked about today. And even though we've talked about Paul's words on dying, they were really about living and about how you live your life well. And so as we conclude, we're, we're gonna let our final prayer be a song. We're gonna sing this song that says, Lord, I build my life on you, that I fix my eyes on Jesus, that I put my trust and my confidence in you. And I would ask, I would hope that as we sing this song together, whether you're here in this room today or you're watching online, that you would sing this song and that you would make it your prayer, that you would, from your heart, say, God, I build my life on you. Right where you are, you may wanna stand, you may wanna lift your hands, you may wanna lift your voice as we sing this song together and make it our prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and the way that it speaks to us. We thank you for your truth and the way it it changes our lives. Father, we want to live a life where we know that we have fought the good fight, that we can finish the race, that we've kept the faith. And so, Lord, as we sing this song, it's more than just another set of words or lyrics. God, we make this our prayer. We make it our focus as we look to you, as we sing this song of praise and commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Sing holy and holy. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in water and fill me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those sick Oh
Amen. 